Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Reverend Steve Andrews. Today we continue the book of Judges with Judges chapter 2. Now the angel of Yahweh went up from Gilgal to Bochim, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of Yahweh spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. And they called the name of that place Bochim, and they sacrificed there to Yahweh. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served Yahweh all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that Yahweh had done for Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of Yahweh, died at the age of a hundred ten years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath-Herez, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaish. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know Yahweh or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of Yahweh and served the Baals. And they abandoned Yahweh, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked Yahweh to anger. They abandoned Yahweh and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of Yahweh was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of Yahweh was against them for harm, as Yahweh had warned and as Yahweh had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. Then Yahweh raised up judges, who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of Yahweh, and they did not do so. Whenever Yahweh raised up judges for them, Yahweh was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For Yahweh was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of Yahweh was kindled against Israel, and he said, Because this people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of Yahweh as their fathers did or not. So Yahweh left those nations not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. This is the word of the Lord. So our text today is going to to move us forward finally into the era of the judges, although only summarily speaking. Summarily? Only as a summary. How's that? So you start this one with 
the angel of Yahweh, which is an Old Testament way of saying Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ, the angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh. He appeared to Joshua back in Joshua chapter 5 as the commander of the Lord's army that would go before Joshua, that was going to fight for Israel, for God's people. But here we have the opposite. Jesus now meets with the people and informs them no more. Right? Because they have failed, because they have broken covenant, and I'm skipping ahead, right? He he has promised he would never break his covenant. And he didn't. But they did. They broke the covenant to do what he had given them to do. They allowed these various other people groups who worship all these false gods to remain in the promised land. You can read about that in the the end of chapter 1, verses 27 through 36. And so because of this, again, God is not going to drive them out. They are going to be thorns in your sides. So they're going to cause harm and pain. They're going to be a nuisance, right? They're going to cause trouble for the people of God. And their gods shall be a snare to you. So a snare, a trap. These false gods will be a temptation to the people of Israel, a trap set for them that will spring upon them and cause destruction. Once Jesus had said this, the people wept. And so they named that place Bokim, which in Hebrew means weepers, that they wept there. And they make a sacrifice to the Lord there. Nothing commented on about that sacrifice here in the text. This is not the place that the Lord has appointed for sacrifice. So what this sacrifice was, was it good or not? Not really covered. Oftentimes such sacrifices were not good to do but only the sacrifice where the Lord had instructed, which would be for God's people at this point in time, the tabernacle coming to rest at Shiloh would be that location. So we then get, a, a again, a recap. Joshua dismissing the people. We saw that at the end of the book of Joshua. They go to their own inheritances. That is, they go to the land and the promised land that the Lord had given to them. We do see that there is a level of faithfulness, right? We've just learned that they weren't faithful in all things. They didn't drive out all the enemies that God gave them to drive out. But by and large, the people served Yahweh all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. So for as long as that generation that actually entered the promised land, the, the adults of that generation, it would seem, as long as they remained, things were going fairly well for God's people. They had seen the great work Yahweh had done for Israel. So the actual work of the Lord fighting for them, again, that commander of his army, Jesus, fighting for them, claiming the promised land for them, driving out their enemies, giving them victories that, as we'll see more of in the book of Judges, don't make sense in a worldly perspective. But the Lord can fight for his people. And he does. Joshua dies at the age of 110 years, so not quite living as long as Moses did. Moses was not ready to die either when he died. So uh, this shortening of the ages seen throughout the the early parts of the Old Testament history continuing at this point. All that generation also were gathered to their fathers. So that's a, a way to say they died and they were buried with their fathers. 
And then another generation arose after them who did not know Yahweh or the work that he had done for Israel. That is a fairly significant phrase in today's reading. And a point for family conversation. Why did they not know Yahweh? Why did they not know the work that he had done for his people? I mean, as you think of it as as parents and child, this would be like your children, the children in your house, as part of the conversation, not knowing who God is. How does that happen? Well, that happens because the parents didn't tell them. So again, even though they are described as serving Yahweh and, and obeying his commandments, it's not a full obeying of the Ten Commandments. It's not a full service of the Lord and true and deep faithfulness. They didn't tell their kids about the Lord, and that was part of the Passover feast, right? Every year they celebrate the Passover. You can read about Exodus 12 and 13, how the father was supposed to very specifically teach his children, his son, about what the Lord had done for them in Egypt. That's going to continue elsewhere. Deuteronomy 6 is going to talk about how it is the father's task to teach the faith to his children at all times. Whether he's lying down, rising up, walking along the way, sitting in his house, it doesn't make a difference. Always he's to teach his children about the Lord. They haven't done this. This is what we're seeing in our own culture, in our own times. There are some parents who say they don't want to choose for their children. They want their children to choose a religion for themselves when they're ready to decide. And that is simply a rejection of God's command. There usually aren't as many of those within Christian churches, although there sometimes are. Typically for us, it ends up being more so, I think, what we're going to see in the rest of this chapter. And that's that life gets so overtaken by idols that even though we might have told our children about the Lord, they saw us living for the idol instead of for the Lord. And so they followed the God that they were actually taught. They were taught how to live for an idol, and so they did. That's one that we struggle with and have struggled with as a church in this land for multiple generations at this point. All right, verse 11. We learn a little bit about false gods that they worshipped. First, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of Yahweh. That's, again, a stark contrast to what their parents had done before them. And as part of this evil, they served false gods. The word Baal in Hebrew is translated as Lord or Master. So you have here, they served lords, they served masters. Baal specifically can be a reference to a, an ancient Near Eastern storm god. Uh, and so I would take this first reference here a little more generically, right? That storm god is not a plural, but you have their worship of various false gods is the referent. So they abandoned Yahweh, the god of their fathers, who had done this great thing for them, brought them out of Egypt, and they serve other gods. And this was why they were supposed to drive them out. Who are they serving? The gods of the peoples who were around them. They pick up the gods of the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, 
the Girgashites, all those groups that were supposed to be gone, they failed to drive them out and they are provoking God to anger by worshiping these false gods. Now, Baals and Ashtaroth get mentioned in verse 13. We talked about Baal already. Ashtaroth is uh, the plural for Asherah, A-S-H-E-R-A-H. Asherah is a goddess instead of God, and the goddess typically of the sea or of fertility. Uh, Some ancient cultures viewed her as a sister of Baal. Others viewed her as a mother of Baal. But at the same time, you have Baals and Ashtaroth. You have both of them plural here. The idea oftentimes in these ancient religions was that these gods and goddesses worked as couples that you would have one of each, a male deity and a female deity. Why? Well, fertility, right? In order for them to be productive, in order for them to bless the land, they would have to, well, be fruitful, right? And multiply, as the Lord would say it in Genesis chapter 1. The the gods would actually have to have sex to be fertile and produce. And this is obviously not the way that the Lord truly works, right? God does not need such things, but it is the way that a lot of ancient cultures looked at it, and thus even further, the the idea of temple prostitution fit into that too, uh, that if the gods were not acting, if things seemed unproductive, like the land in the time of a drought or the crops just weren't doing well, the or a lack of children in the, in the culture, the viewpoint of a of such a fertility cult in history was that in order to get the gods interested in producing again, you had to have sex yourself, basically. That the gods would watch people having sex and that would excite the gods to have sex with each other and make the land fertile with their blessings again. So this is where temple prostitution becomes a major part of world history. Um, That you could go to a temple, have sex with a prostitute, in order to have the blessings of a false god poured down upon you. And you even see this rub off on the Israelites in their history. Not just at this point in their history, but going all the way back even into the book of Genesis, right? That Judah ends up having sex with a temple prostitute, or thought he had, when really it was his daughter-in-law that he had treated poorly. So, Part of the history there, part of the culture there for you to to be able to better understand what's going on here. But as we, before we move on from that conversation, actually, a good conversation for a family, what false gods do people worship today? Now, you might be able to name specific ones like Islam with Allah. You might be able to think of Buddha technically isn't viewed as a god but that's a a major belief system. You've got Hinduism that has millions of gods that they worship. Um, Judaism, technically, uh, would have a different god than we do because they don't worship Jesus, and Jesus is God. So you do have some examples. By and large, in American society, a larger swath of people that would claim to be atheist, a is the negator, theos, God, uh, without God, or against God even perhaps, that atheists would 
by and large worship things of their own making. We worship money in this culture. We worship fame and and power and other such things. So those might be examples to bring up too, the various idols in our lives, even entertainment and sports and phones and all kinds of stuff can fit that bill for that conversation. The rest of the text then is going to be about the the summary, again, of what's going to come in the rest of the book, that the Lord is giving them over because they have rejected him. He gives them over into their sin. They wanted these false gods. Let's see if these false gods can protect you. He gives them over, and they are, well, as it says in verse 15, in terrible distress. And so as they come into those moments where things are not working well, the Lord raises up judges. He has mercy on them. He hears their groaning. He responds not by silence, but by sending a judge. And a judge here is not a, again, like I said yesterday, not a courtroom a picture with a gavel. This is a military hero, a champion that would deliver them, save them. And we learn very specifically, right, Yahweh was with the judge and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. These judges were servants of God and they did what the Lord had them to do. And we're going to learn they're not always that faithful either, as we'll see several times throughout this book. Now, you can pick up on some of this conversation how the Lord was not going to fight for them if they had not followed his, his ways uh, from Leviticus 26, starting at verse 14, or Deuteronomy chapter 28, starting at verse 15. Both of those go for paragraphs, uh, but you can read from those if you would like to follow up on, on that idea from verse 15. So they don't listen to the judges. They don't abandon their sinful ways. They don't give up their false idols that they follow. But instead, as we see verse 19, whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers. So the the falsehoods, the, the sin, the idolatry of Israel only multiplies from generation to generation as they continue to serve these false pagan gods among them. And so, verse 20, the anger of Yahweh kindled against Israel Verse 21, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations. Verse 22, in order to test Israel, whether they will take care to walk in the way of Yahweh as their fathers did or not. And so we learn very specifically here that the Lord has left a temptation among them. They have rejected him. They have rebelled against him. And so he has left temptation before them. They have this fight now. Follow God or not. It's before them. They have been told of the Lord, but they have not trusted in him. He has fought for them, but they have not believed in him. And so now he's testing them. The Lord allows such evils to persist in this world in order that even today, people would be called to repent of their sins and trust in the Lord above all things.